I can teach anybody. You give me a room full of chimpanzees, I can teach chimpanzees how to pull hose. I can teach chimpanzees how to throw ladders. I can't teach someone to love their community. I can't teach someone to love their brothers, to love the fire service. If you show up to the fire service because you truly love people and you want to help people, the sky's the limit for you, brother. The sky is the limit for you. You can do anything you want. Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Going live, pulling up the notes. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap. I can't believe I'm saying it. Number 199. My guest tonight is none other than Clark Lamping. He is a captain with Clark County, Nevada Fire Department, where he has been for 25 years, worked on Las Vegas Boulevard for 17 years. He's been a technical rescue captain, training captain, rescue squad officer, Nevada Task Force One, teaches FDIC, MAFC, Firehouse World, ATRA, across the pond in London. You name it, he's taught there. He is married. He's a family man, father of two teenage boys. He has a very unique perspective and I'm excited to dive into it today with him. My friend, Clark Lamping, it is my honor and pleasure to have you on as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 199. Welcome, my brother. Thank you very much, Corley. I appreciate being here. I'm, I'm, I'm happier than you are to be here. I'm thrilled. Like we just talked a little bit before. Man, I can't believe you invited me. All the people you've had on the scrap and then you texted, do you want to come? I said, you you know me? <laughs> you know me? So I I'm thrilled to be here, brother. I'm really looking forward to this. And no. I hope you guys out there in, in internet land, I hope you just hammer me with some good questions. Um, I expect maximum ball breaking tonight. I love it. Um, yeah, hook it up. Comments, questions, I'll take it. There you go. There you go. He said it. He wants it. Um, and no, I talked to you about, yeah, I talked to you about that. Like, I, I, I am still honored every time someone says yes, they'll come on. I do. I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Is there anything I missed in the intro? Anything you would like to add that I did not include? You got it all, brother. You got awesome. it all. Audience, he mentioned it. Get your questions primed and ready for Clark and myself. It's going to be a good one. This scrap is going to be good. Kyle is in the chat. He is he is on duty, but also also monitoring the chat, looking for those good questions, so keep him busy. Uh, quick announcements out the gate. If you want to be a part of the Cool Kids Club, the Vigilantes, man, go to firehousevigilance.com, sign up. Uh, the latest thing we started doing was the scrap after party, which is after the scrap is over, we hang out with the guest if they want to hang out. It's it's optional, and we'll invite Clark at the end. But uh, to to hear their critique of how he did and things like that, it's just a quick 20 minutes after party where they get to critique the guest and tell them how much they enjoyed it, et cetera. Uh, and that's something that only the vigilantes get to do. Uh, we're starting the V90, which if you know, you know. But the V90, it's starting uh, in, in three short days. On Wednesday, we kick off the V90. So I'm super pumped. So check it out. FirehouseVigilance.com. So with that being said, we'll get to the hosts, uh, the sponsors. The OG sponsor of the scrap is Key Hose. Check them out on Facebook. The Hose Experts. Affordable Drill Towers. Home of the Affordable Drill Tower and the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Firefighter. Owned and operated. Pump and roll using the Affordable Standpipe Prop. The Affordable Standpipe Prop fits through most classroom doorways for standpipe theory, and then you roll it into the parking lot and pump it. Comes with six standpipe valves that can be upgraded to PRVs or customized to what you have in your jurisdiction. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Firestationfurniture.com. They provide a complete line of quality furniture for your firehouse. 
firefighter owned and operated, they understand the strain firefighters put on furniture and offer furniture that's built to last. Visit www.firestationfurniture.com for more information. And finally, because we're, we're probably going to talk about some high rise, I think. I'm not sure. Standpipe operations, maybe. But there's the a fast, chance. There's a chance. The fast wrench. It is the one and only standpipe operations multi-tool in the fire service. It combines 10 different tools into one lightweight, easy-to-use hand tool. The fast wrench is quickly becoming the best practice tool for adjusting any maker model, uh, field adjustable PRV, and it is an absolute must-have in your standpipe kit. Designed by a firefighter for doing the tough business of standpipe firefighting, lighten your kit, streamline your operations with the fast wrench. Check them out, fastwrench.com net so there we go sponsors out of the way i'm gonna catch you up clark real quick on the on the on everybody because we got some hype sunday fun day from bradley valley court joey hayes said this will be awesome clark is solid he's throwing you a fist bump let me put it towards the camera learned a lot from him at h rock excited for this one that comes from joe uh joe gavita Evening all, three bugled firefighter listening in and taking notes. That's James Mitchellisco. He's always he's always uh, chiming in from Indy. Clark's going nice. to kill it. Let's do it from Bo Smith. There we go. Hi from Rochester, New York. Key Hose is chiming in saying let's go. So there you go, Clark. We got the hype train rolling. Good. Are you... All right. Good. I just want to say something real quick, Corley, go. about the sponsors, go. right? First go. of all, we got Key Hose. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I would say I'm friends with the owner of Key Hose. And – there's a dude that's in it for the right reasons. You know, people might think, hey, he's a corporate guy, right? He's, he's in it for the money. No, I know him on a personal level. That dude is in the business because he wants to make life easier and better for firefighters and fire departments. A very good product, Kehoe's. Unfortunately, I don't use Kehoe's on my job. That is not my decision. If it was my decision, we would be a 100% Kehoe's. I've trained with Kehoe's. He sponsors the majority of the conferences I teach at. And I tell you what, that is a superior product. Absolutely. So I'm thrilled that he's on there. Um, and also Dave from Fast Rich, yeah. right? Dave, again, shows up to all these H-Rock. He shows up, brings his tool. That is a fantastic tool. I am actively working on getting my department to buy Fast Wrenches. Uh, our, our, you know, typical fireman, right? The standpipe kit every year gets two pounds heavier, two pounds heavier, two pounds. Now we got to hire extra people just to get the goddamn standpipe kit up to the fire floor. Right. They just keep putting <laughs> stuff in there. You can replace 50 percent of what's in your standpipe kit with the fast wrench. So oh. I, I love the product and I hope I hope someone listens to me and I hope we get fast wrench in our standpipe kits for sure. No, without a doubt, brother. The like, like sometimes you hear about a tool and you're like, yeah, it's just another gimmick or something. Prescott, Dave, Dave Prescott is a is a fireman's fireman and he designed a tool to solve a problem, man. One hundred percent. And when you have the likes of Clark Lamping and Bill Gustin and and people who know high rise ops and standpipe operations praising it, you know, it's the real deal. So, uh, absolutely. You said he saved one problem. He saved seven problems with that wrench. No doubt. Yes. That's a good way of saying it. That's a better way of saying it than I said it. Uh, so absolutely. Okay. So with all that being said, let me pull, let me find my notes here. All right. As they're trying to hide from me, I always send, uh, the, you know, the, 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 those email out to the guests and say, what would you like to talk about? What topics would you like to say? I love, love, love what you got coming back at me, man. Um, so I'm going to kick it off with the exciting and unique challenges of planning for and responding to major events in Las Vegas. Cause you were on Las Vegas Boulevard for 17 years. Yes. You had stuff like the formula one race with 400,000 people showing up, super bowls, 300,000 people plus 
New Year's Eve in Vegas with like 350,000 people being down there, you know, on Fremont or down on the strip. Right. Uh, all, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm telling you, like, you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so talk to me about how do you, how do you even wrap your brain around getting ready for stuff like that? Yeah. Las Vegas is an animal unlike any animal in the United States. So if, if you've ever been to Las Vegas um, and you've been on the, what we call the strip. Okay. You're actually in Clark County. You're not even the city of Las Vegas. If you're really familiar with Las Vegas, Clark County, when you go to the Circus Circus Hotel, just to the north of Circus Circus Hotel, that's the border where City of Las Vegas starts. So City of Las Vegas is responsible for Fremont Street. Everything okay. south okay. of the Circus Circus Hotel is Clark County. Clark County Fire Department. We have our own police department. We have our it's our own it's a it's our own county. So Clark County runs the majority of Las Vegas Boulevard as everybody knows it. And we are so extremely busy on Las Vegas Boulevard. I'm going to throw some numbers out there that you can't even can't even wrap your head around. Our airport, Harry Reid, it's called Harry Reid. He used to be called McCarran because um, someone woke up and, and now we have to change the name. You know how that plays out, right? Right. Um, so 5 million people a month come through our airport. 5 million people a month. Every single month, every single year, 5 million people a month. Clark County Fire Department, we're about 35 stations. Uh, we run about a hundred and seventy-five thousand calls a year Ooh. on Las Vegas Boulevard. On Las Vegas Boulevard, we have five stations that service Las Vegas Boulevard. Uh, we had the headquarters, Station Eighteen, uh, back when Firehouse Magazine used to put together that. Remember the busiest firehouses? The busiest. Well, list, at yeah. Station Eighteen for years, we had uh, truck company, two engine companies, three rescue companies, and a battalion chief in one firehouse. They were always for years top five busiest firehouses in North America. So that's the kind of volume we're talking about on Las Vegas Boulevard. Every single day, every single day on Las Vegas Boulevard, there is a minimum of two major events. You Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four major events. We're talking concerts, we're talking conventions, we're talking professional sports, UFC, uh, Stanley Cup champion hockey team, the Golden Knights. We have Las Vegas Raiders, uh, all the time and just ridiculousness. We have NASCAR. We have the New Year's Eve event. New Year's Eve every single year, 350,000 people come to Las Vegas every year. And we decided, all right, how do we manage these people? How do we protect these people? And how do we protect ourselves from these people? And mind you, they say in Las Vegas, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 50% of the population of Las Vegas is under the influence of some kind of substance, <laughs> All right. right? So add that. Not only do we have mass crowds, but we have mass crowds that are inebriated, and now we have legalized marijuana. Um, so, yeah, all bets are off now. All bets are off. And when, you're, when, you're, when your city's motto, Cody, I'm um, sorry, Corley, when the city's motto is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, people show up to Vegas and their attitude is, man, everything's legal. And on right. more than one occasion, on more than one occasion, I witnessed someone out in public on a medical call. I'm, I'm working on a medical call. And next to me, there's a guy at a pool. He's snorting cocaine off of a magazine at the pool at a hotel. And I looked over at this guy and said, what are you doing, man? And he looks at me and says, what? I can't. I says, no, man, this is the United States of America. Cocaine is not legal in America. You can't be snorting cocaine. So that's just some of the challenges we face. So <laughs> what? I can't do yeah. it here. It stays you know, here, what? doesn't it? But he says, but don't what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? No. Um, so yeah, 
we so we have a what I believe is a very good system for the of preparing for and staffing these large incidents. And after the October one shooting we had in Las Vegas in 2017, and we can talk about that a little later if you want. Um, after that, we realized we've got a situation here where these people are actually a target. People in large gatherings now, not just in Las Vegas, you know, across the country, they are a target. So we had to do something. And what we did was put together a plan. First thing we did is get together with the police department. We got together with our local police department and we made friends with them. And we invited the police officers into our fire station. Can you believe this? How many jurisdictions you know, Corley, the police are not invited or would never set foot in a fire station? No, without a doubt. Yeah. We broke down barriers. And the chief said once, right, the fire, the chief was named Chief Castle, Greg Castle. He was fantastic, really progressive fire chief. They asked him, across, he speaks across the country about this, this plan we have. And they asked him, how did you get on that level with the police department? And his answer is burritos. You'd be surprised how many problems you can solve with a bag full of burritos, invite these guys in, feed them lunch, and we're going to talk about what we need to do as a public service agency mm. to protect these people. Nice. And what we came up with, we have a response model that we can ma manage these incidents. For example, every single incident has a command post, a unified command post. In that command post, there is an officer from the police department. There's a fire captain in that. We have a security head of security from the facility. And then we have parking, uh, head of parking, the parking agency, and we have uh, ambulance company all sitting in the building in one room with computers facing each other, just talking. So if anything were to happen at one of these incidents, we already have uni unified command set up and we are directing resources shoulder to shoulder with everybody that needs to be there. And this is preemptive at a just just for the event. This is every single event, Corley. Okay, not more than fifty. Okay, yeah, with not more than long 15, before an emergency people. happens at them. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Once, okay, if you right, if you've got twenty-two thousand people at a concert and shooting starts, and you've got to show up with police and with fire, and then when you do show up, do these guys even know each other? Right. right? Who? What's your name? What's your rank? What radio channel are you on? What's going on? Okay, and then then guess what happens? Then someone else relieves that officer. Hey, I'm the new guy. Well, what happened to the old guy? Well, I outrank him, so I'm going to be the new guy in the command post. Well, I had a relationship with the old guy. No, nope, no. Nope. And so you can see in this heat of the moment, if if agencies don't have a plan, if they don't have a communication plan, if they don't have a response model, you're, you're behind the eight ball. You're right. behind the eight ball already because we've seen in this country over and over and over again how fast these incidents move and how catastrophic they can be. And how taxing they are on all of the systems. All the and systems. just preemptively just taking variables out of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. No, no I love absolutely. it. I love it. All right. And this is, got, where, this is where the, every concert, every sporting event, every convention now. Convention has a unified command post. And we have conventions about 350 days a year. We have large conventions in Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. Seriously. And multiple. Sometimes we have three, four conventions going on at the same time. Right. So, yeah, we it is busy. It is busy. I can, I can only imagine. Yeah, no, without a doubt, man. Um, okay, you've got questions coming at you. And they're all centered around high-rise and standpipe operations, which might, might or not be your wheelhouse. Um, all right. Uh, Kyle Romagus has the first one coming at you. He said, Clark, short of our brother Brooksy in Canada, I don't know anyone that responds to more high-rises than Clark County. What are some of the traps that firefighters fall into while operating in standpipe-equipped buildings? Um. 
Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, we do respond to a lot of high-rise incidents, but I'm going to tell you what, in Clark County, because of the MGM fire of 1980, right, they changed all of the building codes. They changed all of the fire codes. So Las Vegas is actually an extremely safe high-rise city. It's probably the safest high-rise city in the United States. And when they redid the codes in late 1980s, we were known as the safest high-rise city in the world. We had the strictest codes in the world. So we do respond to a lot of high-rise incidents. Um, not all of them are going to be fires. Not all of them are going to be fires. There's a lot of BS that goes on in Las Vegas. Um, so one of the challenges, I would say, Kyle, is locating the fire, right? Very few times, very few times when I respond to a fire, Single digits. Do we have a hotel room on fire extending out in the hallway? Boom, blowing down on top of us. We have to advance and open open two and a half inch hallway, push down the hall. Very, very rarely is that the case. 90% of the time it is we have smoke. We have detectors going off in multiple locations. We have smells. We don't have any fire. We don't know what's going on inside this building. And now it's time to go and walk these halls and walk these stairwells and look for something wrong. Get below, get above, start just searching for stuff. Look inside all of the shafts. Look inside your laundry chute. Look inside your garbage chute. Get on the parking structure below. Do we have a car fire below us that is sending smoke up? Those are some of the biggest challenges is fighting fire in unknown or concealed spaces in these large buildings. Love it. And what was the other part of the question I forgot? More than oh, brother. Hold on. <laughs> Are we already gone? I, yeah, I've already moved. I've already moved. I live, right, I'm, right. looking, I'm looking to see if I can find the wording because I deleted it out of my notes. No, no, Once that's I, fine. And on, no, I'm no. talking about Brooksy, uh, Brent Brooks in uh, Toronto, Canada. If you need to know anything about fighting high-rise fires, get on his Facebook page, High Rise Firefighting. Talk to him. He's very, very approachable. The dude is solid. The dude is solid, and he knows his stuff. Right on. And, and Brooksy is going to be on the scrap. Uh, I just have to space out. Subject matter experts. When I talk to a high rise firefighter, I gotta I gotta get a little space in between. It's like when I do too much building. I love building construction, but when I do too much in a row, you know, people's eyes start to glaze over. So yeah. uh Clark from James yes, Wisco, he says, Clark, on a high rise, are we rocking a two and a half with an inch and a quarter, a two and a quarter with an inch and an eighth? And he goes through a whole bunch of them, but basically the the the, the nuts and bolts of the question is what load do you suggest for your high rise pack? Magic wand type question. Magic wand. All right. In Clark County, we are in two and a half inch, two and a half inch with an inch and an eighth tip. Every engine company and truck company arrives with three sticks, 50 foot sections of two and a half, which with an inch and an inch and an eighth tip. That's what we use. All right. That's not my dream model. Okay. If I could choose and mind you, so we show up, Clark County shows up. We put 16 firefighters on the fire floor immediately. First four companies go up first company, Three go up, the engineer stays down and makes the hookup. Second company arrives, three go up, the second engineer, he makes the assist with the hookups and he gets a water supply. The next two companies go up four and four. I have six, we have 16 people on the fire floor just to put that initial hose line and stretch and that in service. All right. The reason we do that is because we're in two and a half inch hose. And I've got news for you advancing a charged two and a half inch hose on a carpeted hallway is an ass kicker. It's an absolute ass kicker. And a lot of times, where do we do the majority of our high-rise training? Parking structures, right? right, On Absolutely. a smooth concrete floor, okay? You are cheating yourself. And I understand that's what we have to do because 
you can't tell a hotel, hey, we're going to put we're going to put 45, 50 firefighters in your building. We're going to start dragging hose and interrupting your business and stressing out your guests. Right, so right. we have to do our we have to do our training in parking structures and stuff. But but pulling hose on a smooth concrete floor is definitely different than pulling hose on a carpeted hallway. So we put 16 people on that floor. And a lot of times when I teach, I get first question is, hey, hey, boss, I, I can't put 16 people on a fire floor. I don't have those kind of resources. Right. I can't do that. What are your recommendations? The first thing I say is go with smaller hose. Talk to Burke, Burke at Key Fire Hose and say, we want to try two inch hose. We want to try two and a quarter inch hose. We want to try 50 foot sections. We want to try 75 foot sections. I know some major fire departments, New York FDNY, for example, Miami Dade, they went with smaller hose and they love it. And I've used the smaller hose. I tell you what, it's fantastic because, poorly, why, why are we taking two and a half? into a high-rise. Do we take it into a high-rise because of the fuel load or do we take it in the high-rise because we need a low-pressure weapon because we're operating off a standpipe? No, right? yeah, 100%. Very rarely do we need 265 gallons a minute to fight a, a hotel room fire, right? So we need, we need it because of the volume. You can get similar flows with way less weight out of two-inch hose, out of two-and-a-quarter-inch hose, and the, and the tip size accordingly. So that would that would be my dream right there. A smaller hose, a smaller tip size. You could reduce your personnel. You could reduce the wear and tear on your personnel. And I'll right. tell you what happens. And this comes from Bill Gustin. Bill Gustin taught me this many years ago. If you show up to a high-rise fire and you don't have the appropriate the appropriate personnel to put that first hose line in stretch, in, in service, right? You hook it up, you got more companies coming in, and what do firemen do? Should we wait for the companies to come up and help, or should we just get after it? Oh, we're gonna get after it, get guaranteed. After, right. So they start getting after it. They start humping hose from the floor below, up a stairwell, onto the fire floor, on a carpeted hallway with insufficient personnel. They're going to gas out before they get to the fire. And if they do, right, and let's talk about this. What what, uh, air on our air bottles, what percentage should we be leaving in a commercial structure? 50%, right? If you're you're in a high-rise fire and you're working until your bell rings, that's dangerous. That is danger. You're putting yourself and your other companies in danger. So we should be getting out of that building, getting our bottles changed out. So what's going to happen if you try to make that stretch with with not enough manpower, you're going to be three quarters of the way down that hall and you're going to be gassed out. Bells are going to be where you're going to have to leave. Right. So you're going to have to back out. No one's fixing the problem. The fire is still burning. And what have we done when we open up the door on the fire floor to the stairwell? Right now, that clock starts ticking, and we need to stop that problem as quickly as possible because that smoke is now pushing into that stairwell, going above. We've now endangered every single person above that fire floor. If we can't get to that fire, that fire, that door on that stairwell closes, and that hose line's in that doorway, isn't it? So we cannot even isolate the fire floor anymore. That company has to go down, switch out bottles, get back up, and their, their asses are kicked already. They're gassed. So what percentage are they going to be at? Right. Right? I would always recommend that you do not make that stretch. You do not open up that stairwell door until you are 100% certain that you have the appropriate people to make that stretch and you have the appropriate length to make that stretch. Same thing happens if you stretch short. You're Same thing's going to happen. You're going to have to shut that whole system down and add a length. Right. Your best right. bet is take the minute. I can't emphasize enough. How important it is to recon the floor below. Fortunately, coming from Las Vegas, 
right? I can tell you with 99% certainty, if I have a fire on the 15th floor in room 125, I can tell you with 99% certainty that on the 14th floor, room 125 is going to be the exact location directly below that same layout. The door is going to open the same way. The bathroom, the hallway, everything's going to be configured the exact same way. So it is mandatory that we walk the floor below. And I know firefighters, right? Go, 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 go. Stop. <laughs> Low down. Make Take the recon. Do it. I want to know what side the hinges are on. I want to know what the layout of that room is. I want to know how many feet we have. How many feet from the stairwell to the door is it? And then we're going to add 50 feet because we're going to go from the door into the room. And then we're going to add 50 feet because we're on the floor below. So whatever that number is, add 100 feet. And these guys, our guys assume, hey, just because the engine company showed up with 150 feet of hose does not mean that fire is going to be 150 feet down that hallway. So do that recon. So those are two huge problems I see uh, when I teach and my own personal experience working on the strip that we have uh, during high rise fires. Beautiful. And and take take the time to make the recon uh, to make up the time on that fire floor. Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to summarize and and I'm sure ba- uh, bastardize. Um, and Kyle wanted to make this point because you said, you know, one of your what you said was use a smaller hose when you're talking about two and a half. But you are not saying I, you tell me, but you're not saying go down to inch, inch and three quarter. No. You know, OK, making sure I no. want to be very clear. Yeah, uh, no inch and three quarter. Minimum. There is a two inch and there's a two, two and a quarter inch option that are out yep. there. But you're not saying go yep. down to the. Yeah. Absolutely not. And not a fog nozzle either. You cannot science. It is scientifically proven that working on a standpipe system with PRVs, you cannot get the appropriate PSI to push an inch and three quarter nozzle, an inch and three quarter hose with the fog nozzle, especially when you're talking about a two. It's going to be minimum of 200 foot lay, especially when you consider it's 50 feet for the floor below 50 feet for the room. Right. It's going to be at least a 200 foot lay. Right. You are not going to get enough pressure out of an inch and three quarter hose with the fog nozzle to do that. And I still hear people that are using that. Right. And don't don't believe me. Whatever you do, don't believe what I'm telling you. Talk to the made the biggest names in high rise firefighting in the biggest departments in the United States and find out what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Please. Love it. Chris Stretch Martin wants to say, be sure to ask Clark about that burned up helmet in the show pick. <laughs> this, is a, this is a great story. Had a this pleasure. Is a great story. Okay, good, good. Because uh, so Chris said, Martin, Elkhart yeah. Brass. Go ahead. Okay, and by the way, if I had to choose, if I had to choose any nozzle I could, it would be Elkhart Brass. That is a fantastic product. So uh we went to London last November with Elkhart Brass. They took a handful of us, and we were going to experiment with um European style firefighting and American style firefighting. So uh, European-style firefighting is high-pressure, low-volume, low-gallonage nozzles. So we showed up, and they said, here's how we fight fire. And and so they set these fires. We did live fire. And Corley, there's no NFPA in London, believe it or not. There's no, right? Have you ever done 1403? You know how to do a live burn? You have right. to check no, 130 yeah. oh, boxes, So, so right? many boxes, yeah. Right. Those guys, that first fire, those guys put like five bales of straw and 15 pallets on a fire. And that thing was roaring. Rocking. And I said, aren't we supposed to walk the fire building and find out where the exits are? And the guy says, why? <laughs> so um, so we tried we tried their style. We showed them our style. Um, and it was a very, very educational experience. And I tell you what, man, Chris Martin, Jerry Herbst, those guys are dialed. 
and also that oh, yeah. grass tax. You want to talk about you want to talk about some easy five minute training videos for the firehouse at the kitchen table? Grass tax, hard facts. Yes. All right. That is some of the biggest names. Biggest names in the fire service doing that. Legitimate, right? Legitimate yes. guys. Oh, high production quality, the content, education, the names, uh, the pedigree. Yeah. yeah. Brass yeah. tacks, hard facts, drowning in information, yeah. starving for wisdom, 100%. Fan. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Um, So I got I to gotta throw a shout out to uh, uh, Kurt Isaacson. I know he's going to be number 200, right? He got the oh, 200 coming up, spot. Yeah. So, Corley, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm 199 and Kurt Isaacson is 200, that makes me Kurt Isaacson's fluffer, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. I didn't say it, but yes. <laughs> so they went in and they did the European firefighter. They went in, they did their high pressure, low gallon. And, and, it, and it really sounds like this. And the fire's rolling. It is hot and I'm getting burned. My shoulders are hurting. My ears, my neck is hurting. And these guys are just going boop, boop, boop with this nozzle. I'm like, oh my God. So I was in the group that went first with the European guys. The next group was Kurt Isaacson. And I can't remember who else was on his group. So they went, they went down the hall, turn right, turn right again. And then they had these big, the burn room had these big roll up doors, right? And they open up the doors, set the fire, and then they close the roll up doors. Well, Kurt Isaacson's group, he turns the corner and he's got that two and a half smooth board wide open, wide open. And he's, he's doing the all right. He's doing the floor, the the ceiling, the walls, floor, ceiling. And he's moving and the water starts hitting the roll up door. And the roll up door is actually bouncing and water starts pouring out from under the roll-up door. I'm standing with the guy from London who organized all the drills. And he says, oh, my God, what's happening? Did they burst a hose line? Did they? And he says, do we, do we need to go in? And I started laughing. I said, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure they're fighting fire is what they're doing. And they came out there, and, and uh, they, the guy says, how much how much water did you use? Kurt, and Kurt says, I don't give a shit. <laughs> it was you got you got to tell him money with that story. It was fantastic. No, I have it, to ask him absolutely, yeah. dude. I love it. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Go so on. Hey, on a seven eight on on July eighth, Elkar Brass is releasing the training video for that training we did. They're they're calling it the seven eight day because of the seven eights tip. Absolutely. So they're releasing that. It's going to be a big rollout. Uh, you should check that out, man. Again, high quality, high quality video, perfect editing. It was fantastic. Beautiful, man. That seven eights, seven eights day, man. It's becoming a national holiday for the, uh, or, or celebrated day for the American Fire Service. America's tip, absolutely. Yep. Uh, beautiful. Okay, Michael For uh, Foscaris, forgive me if I butchered your name. I'm sorry, brother. He has a lot of questions coming at you, so I'm going to read you one of them here. And uh, he basically says, "Can you dissect what you believe is the best hose load configuration for a high rise pack in terms of the fold, diameter of hose, and nozzle?" Please dive into the pros and cons of this load and compare it to the pros and cons of other hose load styles. So huge wide open question there. You can crush right. and swing at whatever you want. That's a, you know, it's it's a lot there to swing at. Yep. Mike's money. Mike is Mike is a firefighter in the high rise district for the city of Las Vegas. Okay. We've had conversations together. He's How bad in, did he's I put your job, man? Yeah. He's into the job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, I can't sorry. pronounce his name either. Okay. I just call okay. him what's up, dude. Right. <laughs> um, so Clark County, we use the Denver load. Comes straight out of Dave McGrail's book. That's someone else. If you have high rises in your jurisdiction, you need to have his book, Fighting Fire in High Rise Buildings and Standpipe Quick Buildings. Okay, our our equipment and our hose loads came directly out of Dave McGrail's book. You know why? Because that shit works. Because he's been doing it for a long time. He is very smart. Knows what he's doing. So we use the Denver load with the nozzle on the outside. Okay, 
three straps, three straps. And uh, so the reason we do this, because we found it, it's the simplest way. So you show up with your three or four hose packs. And the trick is, Corley, when you have, when you put the hose pack on your shoulder, the tabs need to be to your face. Okay. And all the tabs, all the tabs need to be facing the same direction and terminate at the exact same point of the hose load. So and when you say tabs, you're talking about the straps. The, the yeah, the, the okay, end of the, the end of the strap, right? They're velcro the strap. strap. And a lot of them have the little red, little red loop on them. Sure. I know uh, Brian Brush. Brush he sells yeah. those. Those are fantastic. So the reason we do that, so because those tabs are next to your face, when you lay the hose on the ground, the tabs are on the top side. They're looking at and you. they're all on the same exact location. And it goes one, two, three. You pull those tabs off, and the hose is open. Now you take your hose and you just lay your hose down. If everyone's on the same page, you lay all of your stacks right next to each other. One, two, three, four. You tear all the tabs off, male to female, male to female, male to female, female to the standpipe, nozzle to the floor above. All right. And you stretch. I prefer to stretch all of our hose out on the floor below. Just the nozzle goes to the floor above. That way we can, I can see the entire hose lay. I can tell. If I've got problems, I can tell if I've got kinks, um, but I need to be able to visualize. And if you've got some guys say go 50 feet above on because you're going to use the, the benefit of gravity as you're pulling down. Um, I, I, I would like to test that. I would like to take some kind of device and actually pull on the bale to find out how much, if it even is a benefit on the gravity to pull down. But what you're doing there is I can't see all the hose. I've got some hose above me. I got some hose below me and let's face it. Right. When you got, when you got 16 firefighters and the place is on fire, those guys are going to jump on that hose like ants on a peanut butter sandwich at a picnic, right? right. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make guys are going to be, I, I did a lot of training, um, high rise fire training in Las Vegas. And a couple times, Corley, we had guys make a loop. They just connect male to female, male to female, male to female, and, and didn't even put the nozzle in there. I have a loop of hose. I have a 300 foot loop of hose. <laughs> so every engine company shows up with 150 feet. I had hose lays. Corley, that were 600 feet. I had a 600-foot hose lay. I said, what are you guys doing the fire? Oh, we just assumed that if we have this much hose, hook it up. So you've got to slow the guys down. you got to slow the guys down, make sure it's right. And an officer needs to visually inspect the lay before you charge that line. Because once that line's charged, it's tough to fix. It's tough Absolutely. to fix in a start. And it's going to cause you a significant, a significant delay in putting water on that fire. So to answer Mike's question, Mike, we're going uh, inch and an eighth tip, two and a half inch hose, Denver load. And you have to take the take the time to lay them out, put them on your shoulder correctly, put them down correctly, and lay. don't lay shit on top of each other. Don't just pile stuff up. Lay them next to each other so you can visually see all of your hose right there. Beautiful. Someone asked a Denver load question, so I wanted to follow up since we were right there. Uh, Michael Cannon said, female coupling inside or male coupling on the inside of a Denver pack and why? Um. That is, you can flip a coin. I could find you the exact amount of people to do male on the outside and female on the out, outside, female on the inside. Whatever you do, make sure every hose pack is the same and every engine company is showing up with the hose pack that's the same, right? So if you want to do male on the outside, female on the inside, you can make that happen, right? You can break those hose packs apart and if they're all the same, you're good. And if you want to do female on the outside, male on the inside, same thing. But if you show up and one pack is male outside, one pack is female outside, one pack is male outside, another company shows up and they've got, you know, something random going on, make sure everyone's consistent and everyone takes the time to do that right. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. Hey, there's good discussion going on also in the comment section. So right now I can't really focus on it, but later on, come back and check out your scrap and read the comments because you're going to enjoy some of the discussion about fire behavior and and, and firefighting ops, and you're going to be able to add to it. Uh, but moving on, um, we got through that one on the best hose load and configuration. So Foscaris also coming at you. In your eyes, are bundles and high-rise packs the same thing or should we have specific folds configurations nozzles for high-rise standpipe applications and a whole separate fold configuration nozzle type for apartment or extended lays, et cetera, and why? I love I love him because he 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 asked the question. This is and why. Yeah, and he's he's good too. He's this guy's okay. dial. He's a new captain. He's a new captain. Like I said, he's all in. Awesome. Um, awesome. So you know what? We use our ho we use our high-rise host packs for all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. We use our high-rise hose packs outside of high-rise firefighting. If you just need a 50-foot section of two-and-a-half-inch hose, that's it. We open that in compartment. I can shoulder 50 feet. I can lay it down wherever I want and break that apart. It plays out perfectly. One of my favorite one of my favorite evolutions is garage fires. Two vehicles inside of a garage, both rolling, okay, like two-and-a-half-inch high-rise pack. With the nozzle on it, that 50-foot section, I'll take that off the rig, I'll connect that into the discharge, and I'll stretch a 50-foot section of two and a half, and I will kneel on that. I will take one firefighter, and he will kneel on that hose lay, and he will put 250 gallons into that garage fire by himself, out of the hot zone, delivering 250. That's that's efficiency. You have one firefighter flowing 250 GPM into a garage, right. that's how you're going to fight that fire. So to ask, answer one of Mike's questions, yeah, we use those two and a half inch high-rise packs for all kinds of different things, all kinds of different things. It's just fantastic. It is so convenient to have 50-foot section of two and a half ready to roll. Dude, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And like you said, one person able to deploy and, and get that water on target in a, in a timely manner without needing all the manpower to make it happen. Yeah, uh, and so then a 200-foot – why do you need a 200-foot hose lake, Corley, for a 20-foot stretch? The driveway is only 20 feet long. You'll take more time, and I'll challenge anybody for time to do this. Take one firefighter, deploy a 200-foot crosslay, and then get ready to fight fire like that. Or one firefighter, take one 50-foot section off the rig, turn it on, and fire. That 50-foot section will beat it every single time. Wow. No, I've never thought about it. And I've never thought to time it and see the, the efficiency difference. So that is awesome. Uh, thank you, everybody, for putting up with the small crash. Uh, it's been super reliable, so I don't want to jinx anything by saying we've been super reliable. But we're back. Um, all right. Let me, let me go on to Foscaris's. I'm eventually going to get his name right. Michael's next question. What do you believe are the advantages and disadvantages of the coiled high-rise fold, commonly referred to as a Cleveland uh, coil? Where does it shine? Where does it lack? What's your thoughts, basically, on the Cleveland? Okay, we use – okay, first of all, you're, I'm never going to take a Cleveland load. I'm never going to take inch and three-quarter into a high-rise. Never. No Cleveland load. Um, I will – we do use the Cleveland load in – in Clark County, we call it the apartment load. And go ahead, read me some of the comments. I'm sure guys are just MFing me right now, Corley. Man, <laughs> what the Cleveland load? Stick it in your ass, right? I, we have this fight all the time. Benefits of the Cleveland load, I can put a hundred feet of inch and three quarter with a fog nozzle in a small area and charge it and pop it. So the reason we call it the apartment load, it works really well for us on apartment fires. You have to go upstairs. I can put a hundred feet of hose on a second floor landing, pop it. And it pops in about an eight-foot circle, all right? Disadvantage, you can't stretch it dry, okay? You cannot advance. You cannot open up a cleaver load and pull that nozzle out advance because the hose will twist on you. 
and you'll never you will never fix that. All right. So advantages, you can charge it a lot of hose in a small space ready to advance. Disadvantage, you can't you can't advance it dry. The opposite of that would be like a flat load, the Miami load, uh, all kinds of the Gustin load, where it's just a flat load of inch and three quarter. Advantages, you can stretch that dry. Those those guys they put the they put the hose in place and they make the stretch dry and then they charge it. Okay. Disadvantage, you can't. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of space. You have to stretch it out. So you have to have a lot of hallway or alley or something to make that stretch. So pros and cons to both of them. No, I and. Uh, my son works OKC. OKC has the Metro, uh, and it is a Cleveland load. They run it as their pre-connect on top. They do a hundred foot. And correct me if I'm wrong. Any OKC firefighters, but they do a hundred foot of flat with a coil right on top of it, and and they 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 rock that thing, and they love it. So absolutely, like he said, there's advantages, disadvantages. Uh, yeah. The biggest the biggest thing for me is if you pull that nozzle through the wrong way, it's spaghetti. But as long as you get that part right, one hundred percent, it'll 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 yeah. deploy and play out and do what it's supposed to do. And, and I love having I love having a hundred feet of hundred feet of inch and three quarter I can shoulder and take wherever I want and drop it on the ground clean. Yeah, no, I can't argue. Uh, my son tells me that all the time. Well, just stretch it right, Dad. Just stretch it right. <laughs> Don't be a dumbass, Dad. <laughs> right, exactly. That's basically you just quoted my son to me. Uh, uh, where we at? Okay, taking that one out of the equation. Man, he Foscaris brought the I mean, he put some thought into these questions. I don't uh what one piece of advice would you want to share with a company officer who is responding to a working high-rise incident? I love this question. All right. Slow down. Slow down. We are talking about a low frequency, high risk event, as Gordon Graham would say. All right. So Corley, when the when the hazmat team shows up on a spill does the hazmat team drive right into the green puddle jump out and then say what should we do about this now or does the hazmat team stand back use binoculars get on the computer find out what material we're dealing with and then approach it from there right yeah. they take their time why because you can really get yourself jammed up on a on a hazmat incident how about the technical rescue team corley does the technical rescue team show up to the construction worker down in a trench does the team just all jump in the trench with shovels and start shoveling shit out or does the technical rescue team stand back, have a plan? Where was he last located? Let's set up our shores and let's make the scene safe for all of us. And let's get the dirt off him so we can save him, right? Because you can get really jammed up on a technical rescue call. Okay? Yes. Commercial firefighting, high-rise firefighting, the same thing. Mm. This is not your typical house fire that we fight 90% of the time. You're not going to take the cross layout, go in the front door, make a right turn, make a right turn put 250 gallons on the mattress in the nightstand and then promptly go outside and high five each other while the homeowner's standing there in their pajamas watching you in shock, right? right? That's not what this is. And don't treat it that way. Make sure you take your time. Make sure you do the things like we talked about. Make sure that you know, people know where you are in that building. Our high rise plan poorly is set up that there are multiple levels. We have base, all right? You check in at base. Then you go to lobby, you check in at lobby, then you go to staging, you check in at staging, and then you go to your other assignments, you check. The reason for this is because these buildings we have in Las Vegas, poorly. I've got a hotel, the MGM Hotel, 10 million square feet under roof. 10 million square feet under roof. If you go to the MGM Hotel on a fire and you're not accounted for and you get lost, you're dead. No one is finding you. So take your time, Mike, in these large buildings and commercial structures Make sure people know where you are. 
Don't just pass through staging because you got a bunch of young firemen that are pushing, 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 pushing. Stop at staging. Make sure they know someone's up there. We did studies, Corley. Uh, we had a hotel, the Riviera Hotel. Uh, the county, the, our county bought the Riviera Hotel and they allowed us, they're going to uh, extend the convention center. So we had the convention, we had the, the Riviera Hotel for nine months and they allowed us to conduct destructive wet fire nice. training in the Riviera Hotel for nine months, Corley. Every single day we were doing a high rise firefighting. And that's, I just happened to be the captain of training for that year. And I tell you what, we did some of the best training I've ever had in the fire department. And that's where a lot of my information came from. I supervised, I put together, I supervised damn near every single drill. And I learned so much just from watching people make mistakes. Corley, we put a fire on the fourth floor, fourth floor, no, no elevators. You had to do a stairwell stretch. Take a guess on how long it took from emergency break to water on the flyer, fire on a fourth floor fire. Just a standard setback type deal? Yep, standard setback. Fourth floor, I, I mean, I'm, I am I, I don't have a lot of uh, familiarity. I do mid-rise only, but I would say 10 minutes. I'm just, uh, I'm throwing, I'm trying to be. Uh, yeah, I don't average know. time, Corley, 17 minutes. I thought, Seven. I, was giving it, I thought I was giving it some extra time with the 10. Yeah, 17 minutes, and that is. Now, guys, right, as you practice, you practice. We got that down to about seven minutes, but those okay. dudes were dialed and they were running and they right. had all the answers to the question. The guys that just showed up, pulled that e-brake and did it for the first time, it was 17 minutes. So the point I'm trying to make, hey, man, that fire's not going out in the next 10 minutes. Don't fight the fire. When you look up at that building, you see smoke. Don't fight the fire you have now. Fight the fire that you're going to have in 20 or 30 minutes when you actually get there. No, that's beautiful, man. Beautiful. Thank you, Foscaris, so for the beautiful questions. Thank you, Clark, for the beautiful answers. Uh, he's still got more coming. I think Kyle Ramagas had this question for you. Uh, he asked it a while back, but he said, Clark, did you participate in the high-rise operation drills in the Riviera? <laughs> Riviera? And if so, what lessons did you learn? So uh, anyway, it was great. Um, oh, yeah, fantastic. And then on top of it, Corley, we had, we had a uh, convention. We had a high-rise convention that we named it. Are you ready for this? The best damn fire conference to ever be held at a vacant hotel and on a high rise on Las Vegas Boulevard. That was the <laughs> name of the conference in 2015. And we did it through the Terry Farrell Fund for charity. We had four or five hundred firefighters from all over the country show up. And we had the biggest. We had some of the biggest names nice. as instructors. We had Gustin. We had Ray McCormack. We had uh, Dave. I think Dave Dodson was there. We had and it was. It went off, man. We had the guys from uh, uh, Nozzle Forward were there. We had the guys from East Coast Rescue Solutions. We crushed that. That was and guys want guys walked away and said the best fire training we have ever received in ever. No, and I then at the it. end of it, Corley, we set the hotel on fire. We did live fire in a high rise, the Riviera Hotel live fire, right? And we had awesome. we did fourteen oh three. It was so stressful. I took a video of it. Right. And I posted the video on Facebook. Vincent Dunn, I didn't even know we were friends on Facebook. Vincent Dunn comments and says, Did you really set a high rise hotel on fire for training? And I said, Yes. And he never responded. Right. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, if Vincent Dunn is talking about you, you're either doing something really right or you're doing something really wrong. One of the two. There's two in the And he never section. responded. So I don't know if I was doing something really right or I was doing something really wrong, but yeah. 
It's awesome. It hasn't been done very many times. It has uh, not been done very many. And you talk about stress. You talk about stress. Oh, I can only imagine. I know Atrock is stressful as hell. Just, just, just the standpipe ops, and and uh, and you're involved. You're heavily involved with Atrock, uh, to you know, uh, and one of the biggest takeaways for me is that Atrock gets used every year. You know, the Hilton there and yeah. the Holiday Inn next door, and there's almost always problems with one of the most used and exercised standpipes in the yeah. world, you know, and that's one of the big takeaways is how much anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me talk on that. Hey, if you're in a high rise firefighter, you go to a truck. Well, I guess there isn't an a truck anymore. We just did the it's last gonna, it's one. It's going to be a track. It's going to be a track. Give me a track. Yeah. Uh, that you can, but that some you can of the down. best. Yeah. Some of the best high rise fire firefighting training you will get is a truck. And every time we would go poorly, We'd, you know, we'd pull corner beat off the walls with the carpet would be filthy. And we would, we would say every year, well, guys, enjoy this because there's no way we're coming back next year. Right. And guess what? Next year we got invited back. We got invited. And the students, eyes like saucers. Are you kidding me? You want me to charge this line and take it through that hotel room? Right. Yep. All right. If you say so, boss. Yeah. Uh, I only got to make one HROC just because of the December time frame never worked out. Uh, you know, throughout the years, but man, what I couldn't believe what they were able to do in some of them suites, like eight hundred dollar a night suites, and they're stretching two and a half and inch, yeah, yeah, just just stretching and flowing, and yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, beautiful. Uh, Captain Lamping again from Michael Fuscaris. Hey, everybody, get your questions in. Michael Fuscaris has got a bunch of great questions, which has sparked a bunch of great dis- discussion, but. Post your questions about all yeah, of these guys. topics. And if yeah. that's just questions, call me. If you just want to reach out and break my balls, I'm okay yeah. with that. Bust too. some chops. Break some shoes. Break some shoes. Yeah, that's that's Frank Leaves. I learned that from Leaves. He said breaking shoes. That's the the polite yeah. way. Of hey, if Frank if if Frank Leaves talking, you should be listening. Absolutely. If Frank Leaves is writing. You should be reading. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Captain Lapping. <laughs> Captain Lamping. What is your favorite high rise drill when you run it? What are the behavior skill sets you are looking for or trying to improve upon? What are the common mistakes you see during the drill? And what do you need to set up and perform it? So there's like a 15-part question. But yeah. you take the parts you want. And I can All reread right. it. I'm not deleting it. I'm saving I've got, it. I've got a super yeah. unpopular answer for this, Corley. And I'm sure the comments are going to go off the hook. All right. Hey, I'm going to tell you guys in, in advance. I right, just give it a try. Uh, you leave my mother out of this. She's a wonderful woman. All right. But the best <laughs> I love the, the setup, okay? Okay. Right? So go ahead. The best high rise fire training we will do on in the fire service is on EMS calls. Let that think about that for a second. Massage that for a second. The best high rise training we do is on EMS calls. Now I don't know where you live. I don't know where anyone else lives. All right. But if I show up to the Bellagio and I say I don't talk to the general general manager of the Bellagio Hotel. All right, sir, we'd like to conduct a drill in your hotel. I'd like to put 75 firefighters inside your hotel. I'd like to put 30 apparatus in your valet parking. I'd like to stretch hoses down your cream-colored, filthy-ass hoses down your cream-colored carpeting. All right, I'd like, I'm going to tear corner bead off the walls. I'm going to disturb all your guests. I'm going to stress all your guests out who pay $500 a night to stay at the Bellagio. I'm going to put water in your stairwells. People are probably going to slip, all right? What do you think the answer is? Yeah, right? big fat no. Yeah, a- absolutely no. Not only no, but that dude's on the phone with the chief saying, you know what this asshole just asked me? Right? right. And the chief calls. I'm still on the property. The chief's on the phone. Hey, man, are you at the Bellagio? 
yeah, why, boss? Leave now. Leave, leave those people alone. Go. So point is, you're never, very rarely are you going to get an opportunity to actually do higher, besides HROC, to do actually quality high-rise training in these hotels. On EMS calls, on the other hand, they invite us in. They invite us into their hotel, and we go to the EMS call. You solve the problem. And one thing I always do with my with the new guys, Corley, the new guys, hey, hey, right now, give me a mayday. You're lost. Give me a mayday. Nice. And when I first start doing this, Corley, 90% of the people, firefighters, have no idea what floor they're on, have no idea what wing they're on, have no idea what side of the building they're in, have no idea how far down the hallway they are. And I tell them, well, you're dead now, man. You're dead. You have to maintain situational awareness inside these buildings. So then every single time, I expect my firefighters to know. Two o'clock in the morning, some bullshit chick, drunk chick throwing up uh, in the in the MGM hotel. Every single call, you're going to maintain situational awareness. You're going to know what floor you get off on. You're going to know how many steps down the hall it is. One firefighter, Corley, he counts steps. The other firefighter counts doors to the EMS call. From the elevator to the door nice. of the EMS call, right? As soon as we cross the threshold, one firefighter says, 65 steps down the hallway, and at one stride is three feet. The other the other firefighter says, it's the sixth door on the left, right? Get them thinking. Absolutely. You think on every EMS call that way, when the building's on fire, it's automatic. When, we, when we recon that floor below, that's the information that is critical. And I don't want to have to remind people to do it. So- Every single EMS call is treated like a fire call. We estimate the stretch. Okay. Then when the call's done, we walk the stairwells. We no, we're not taking the elevator. Okay. Go in the stairwells. We're going to talk about PRVs. We're going to talk about standpipes. We're going to talk about configurations. We're going to talk about hose lays. How are we going to lay this hose out, guys? Where are we going to put it? What about this? What about this? Have you noticed this? And then uh, a lot of times, quarterly, we take the you have the red fire phone that plugs in, right? Yeah. Take the yeah. red fire phone on a uh, on an EMS call with you. And the jacks are always going to be in the elevator lobbies in the stairwell. When you're done with the EMS call, take that and just plug the phone in and see if anybody answers. Because I tell you what, that phone rings directly to the systems control room or the fire control room. That phone never rings. And that starts ringing and, and the people in the system control room, oh my God, it's ringing. What are we what, supposed to do? What do we do? Yeah. What, do we do? what do we do? What do we do? So someone picks it up. And says, Hello? Hey, I'm just seeing if the system works. Thank you for answering the phone. But that's just the kind of things you do when you're on EMS calls. Every EMS call is treated like a fire call. And this stimulates a ton of conversation, ton of conversation. Yeah, if I could, yeah, if I could stretch hose in high rise on a daily or a weekly basis, absolutely, I would do that. But you're not. And eventually you just get tired of stretching hose in, in a parking garage, right? Same yeah. thing over and over again. So don't miss an opportunity. To talk about fighting fire in high-rise buildings. Love it. I love it, man. Knowing your district, knowing your job, knowing your district, 100%. Yep. Uh, final one, because he, he articulated some great questions here. I hope you don't mind him coming from. They have a lot of older buildings. They have a lot of older buildings in their jurisdiction. Uh, we have majority of our buildings are newer. Um, so, yeah, I, I again, it, it's situational, Mike. And, Corley, I can't tell you with 100% certainty how that's going to look, how, how much right. fire we have. Is it extending out? Is it eventually going to auto-expose, blow out the windows and auto-expose on the exterior of that hotel, which might have that highly flammable polystyrene cladding? Um, that might happen. But you know what I would do, Mike? I would refer you to Jimmy Davis at the Chicago Fire Department. 
Jimmy Davis knows the shit. That's someone else, Corley, you got to have on your show. Jimmy Davis fights high-rise fires in old pre-sprinkler buildings on a regular basis. They okay. they fight a lot of fire, and unfortunately, they just last just this year, two firefighters killed, two Chicago firefighters killed in a week on two separate high-rise fires. Mm. Um, Jimmy Davis responds. You want to talk about a guy wealth of knowledge. Jimmy Davis shows up with a hundred firefighters on the first alarm. A hundred firefighters. <laughs> yeah. So he yeah. is uh so yeah, I can't I can't really talk specifically about your question, Mike. But and if you need help, if anyone, I'm gonna give you my information. Guys, I'll say this right now. <clears throat> Anything I have on high-rise firefighting, our high-rise firefighting plan, our high-rise elevator plan. Um, we're gonna, we might talk about some MCI, a hostile MCI plan. Um, I will send you anything you need. Anything you request, I send it out. I send it out, and please take advantage of that. Take it to your chief. What you do is I'll send you our plan. If it fits, take Clark County Fire off the top, put your fire department name on it, submit it to the chief. He's going to think you're a genius. Right. There you go. But I'd be Love happy it. to share any information I would with you, and, and even you guys want Brent Brooks's number, you want Jimmy Davis's number, anyone, I'd be happy to provide those to you. There you go. Um, you mentioned MCI and 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 hostile MCI specifically because you you responded to one of the uh, man, uh, I don't know the October one mass shooting, five hundred eighty five shot, fifty nine killed. Um, talk to me about that. Uh, thoughts, preparation. What, what I don't I don't I don't even know where to really begin when I say the the question about you know. Yeah, um, I'll tell you what, Corley. That was in my twenty five year career. That was the most difficult three months I we have ever had on the Clark County Fire Department. It was, uh, it, it came out of nowhere. Um, and to have that much damage and that much tragedy happen uh, in your in our jurisdiction was shocking, right? Now, so I was at Station Eleven. I spent eleven years at Station Eleven. Station Eleven was point nine mile is point nine miles away from that the concert grounds. Engine 11 was the first unit on scene. I was not. I was not on scene that night. All right. That was Apleton. Apleton responded. Uh, we showed up on B platoon the next day. Apleton Engine 11 was actually on site when the shooting started. When the shooting started, and mm. one of the guys on Engine 11 was a probationary firefighter who had extensive military background. And the story is is really tragic because. This firefighter's daughter was at the concert, and he knew she was at the concert because parking was such a mess. The daughter and her friend parked at Station Eleven, had dinner with the company, and then walked to the concert. Mm. So they're sitting there, um, and the shots start. They're listening to the music, looking at the girls in their Daisy Duke shorts, and the shooting started. Shots started getting popped off. And again, this is a probationary firefighter. And he says to the captain, Captain, that's gunfire. And the captain says, no, it's not. It's a concert. It's fireworks. And the, the rookie says, Captain, I'm telling you, that is automatic gunfire. And the the captain says, no, there's. do you see anything? Does it look like it's gunfire? Do you see people running, scattering? People were still in shock. They still had no idea what's going on. The rookie steps up and says, I'm fucking screams. I'm fucking telling you, Captain, that is fucking automatic gunfire. A rookie screaming at the captain. And the captain turns around and says, are you for real right now? He says, I'm fucking for real right now. The captain picks up the radio. Hey, dispatch, do you have a call for shots fired at the October at the uh, um, 
Harvest One, Har Harvest Nine, Route 91 Festival. Dispatch says, that's negative. We have no response to gunfire. The captain turns around to blister the rookie firefighter, and dispatch comes on and says, Engine 11, we just received a call for gunfire. Engine relief, we received another call. Engine 11, we have multiple calls coming in for gunfire yeah. at the concert. And that captain heads up. He said, get the engine out of here right now. Get the engine out of here. Dispatch, send me a full medical alarm on this call. If he wouldn't have got the – he could have done nothing. If that Engine 11 would have stayed on those grounds, they could have done nothing because they would have been in the mix. Pulled the engine away, staged, got their medical gear out, and started treating patients as they walked up to the engine. And that firefighter, talking about some hero-ass shit poorly, he stayed with the engine knowing his daughter was at that concert. Mm. And you know what he did? He did his fucking job. He stayed there and provided EMS to all these gunshot victims, fall victims, all that. And he stayed and he stayed and he stayed. And his daughter ended up getting shot that night. She got shot in the spine. And she was transported by an off-duty firefighter, was at the concert, picked her up, put her in a, part, in a pickup truck, and transported her to the hospital in a pickup truck. Contacted the firefighter and said, I'm with your daughter. She's been shot. Right, we're en route to the trauma center. And you know what that hero motherfucker did? He fucking stayed with Engine 11, and he continued to provide EMS to the shooting victims, knowing his daughter was en route to the trauma center. And eventually the captain said, we need to send this patient, needs to go to that hospital. And he told that firefighter, you ride in on this hospital to the same hospital his daughter was at. So... Yeah, so that that's just one of the one of the multiple stories that happened that night, Corley. Um, so I I show up to work the next morning, Monday morning, and uh, the first thing I notice is there is a in my first in, not even a mile away from my fire station, there is a body on Las Vegas Boulevard under a sheet being guarded by the police department, and uh, my day did not improve after that. Did not improve. Uh, B platoon relieved A platoon. Those guys were worked. They were up obviously all night. They saw some shit. They did some shit that you couldn't even put. You couldn't even write SOPs for the stuff they did that night. But they did it heroically. Those guys, A platoon that night, uh, saved a lot of people. They saved a lot of people. Uh, dialed, dialed firefighters. Mm. So uh, B platoon shows up, and our first, our first assignment as we showed up was to go that that uh, concert back right up to the airport and there's a big vacant lot and they sent us to the vacant lot because the sun was coming up at this point and they said we need you to comb the vacant lot to make sure there's no more victims laying out there in the desert so that's the first that's the first assignment we had we had to show up and just walk and there was blood everywhere Carly. there was blood everywhere we had to track blood trails like tracking a deer and fortunately we did not find any more victims in that lot. So we called, hey, we're done with this assignment. They said, all right, you need to go to the grounds now. Go to the actual concert grounds because we're getting reports of stuff is catching on fire. All the food trucks, the food trucks, everything was left on. Right. Um, so they're starting to have fires and stuff like that. So we responded. We went into, we went onto the fairgrounds and started shutting off propane, start shutting down food trucks, things like that. Um, Corley, there was so much blood on the grounds, and it was an asphalt. It was an asphalt deck. Um, it started heating up. You could smell. You could smell the blood cooking. 
And as we're walking around, nearly every square foot had something in it, a boot, a hat, a cell phone, uh, glasses, a drink, money, just littered, just absolutely littered. And the cell phones, it was so haunting. The cell phones never stopped ringing. There was bodies. There was bodies all over the place. And you would walk by a body and hear a cell phone in the pocket just ringing, ringing, ringing. Someone's looking for this person, ringing. Um, that was tough to see. And then we went back. We went back to the station that day. And they, they didn't move any of the bodies because they resp immediately responded, federal ATF federal FBI and all these guys are coming from Washington, DC coming from other areas. So those bodies laid, those bodies stayed where they laid and they conducted this investigation. So we went back to the fire station and the doorbell rings poorly. And here's this little girl. She must've been 20 years old and she's got, she's in bare feet and she was with her boyfriend and she's got a little stuffed animal and she has a McDonald's bag and she rings the doorbell of the station. And she says, Hey, I just want to let you know that, uh, I was there last night. Thank you for what you did. I brought you an egg McMuffin and a teddy bear. And she's in bare feet. She'd been walking the strip for hours in bare feet. She's filthy, tears down her face. And we took one look at this girl and thought, we've got a problem here. This girl is not okay. This girl has seen some shit that no one, no civilian should have to see. We invited this girl to the station. We sat her down at the kitchen table and this girl just broke down. And we're looking at each other like, what do we do now? Right? right. I'm, I'm not trained or equipped for this stuff and she's still sitting there and the doorbell rings again and it's someone else just upset poorly for the next three months we had regular visitors to the fire station every single day just wanted to talk and they would come they would come in and, and a lot of the people poorly they weren't even at the event but there were people in our community and they were hurt these people were hurt and we had people show up the guy from the pizza shop Shows up and he's got a dozen pizzas. Rings the doorbell. I've got a dozen pizzas for you guys. Come on in, man. Thank you for the pizzas. And he would just sit down and say, I, I can't even wrap my head around why this happened. And again, we're just talking people through this. We were the emotional counselors for our community, Corley. And I'll tell you what, that was so difficult to see. Our people, the people we protect, hurt that badly and damaged. And the majority of these people have no idea what they're thinking. They have no idea how to process this stuff. They don't have access to, they don't have access to quality emotional care, right? Like we do. Um, and then directly, uh, station 11 is directly across from the welcome to Las Vegas sign. And that's where they put up the memorial. This guy showed up with all the crosses and poorly for months. We had a constant stream of pedestrians walking in front of station 11 with balloons and candles and teddy bears and flowers to just go to this memorial. And I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of the memorial. It is massive. It is thousands and thousands of shirts and teddy bears and balloons. And people just, they would just show up, ring the doorbell, and they would just want to hug. And every time, poorly, every time that door rolled up for a response, I'm looking at this memorial. I'm looking at people crying and looking at people kneeling down next to a cross, just hysterical, heartbroken. Um, it was tough, Gorley. It was the toughest, the toughest time I've ever had in the fire service. And it took a toll on a lot of our guys. It yeah. took a toll on a lot of our guys. Um, but we responded. We responded. The Clark County Fire Department, all agencies responded. And we did a hell of a job. 
And there is no doubt, there is no doubt that that number of dead, it was, it's actually 60 now, I believe, because a couple of people died a year later. Right. There's no doubt that that number would be at least twice that. And if the police department, you know, I'm not going to call out that dude in Texas, but our police department, they went into that while the shooting was going on. They showed up to that door. They blew that hotel room door off and that dude saw him coming and he ended up killing himself. But those, those police officers, they're not going to sit in a hallway and wait for that to happen. They made their way down that hallway and they went after that dude. And because they were, he had cameras, that dude set up a maid's cart and he put cameras on the maid's cart in both directions. And he had that live stream to an iPad in the room so he could see people coming down the hallway to get him. He actually shot the shit out of a security guard, right? Because they had a smoke detector activation from all the gun fires rounds he was shooting. The security guard walked up and went to knock on the door and he shot through the door and shot the security guard. Mm. So he knew they were coming. Right. That dude knew they were coming. Um, and you're not stopping that, Corley. That dude planned that event for two years. He had money. He had dedication. He had the planning. And that dude visited multiple events all over the country. He went to the Boston Marathon. He went to concerts at venues all across the country to pick one. And he picked Las Vegas. He picked that festival in Las Vegas. And you can't, you can't stop that kind of shit. With that kind of motivation, mm-hmm. you can't stop that. But, uh, yeah, I, be- I believe in my heart that the, the combination effort of the police department and our fire department, man, we, we did a hell of a job that night. And we continue to do a hell of a job. And we did the best we could, Corley. I'm not going to sit here that I'm a counselor. I'm not going to sit that I saved anyone's lives. Like I said, I was, I was in bed when that happened. But the fact that we just brought these people into the station and talked and talked and talked and tried to, try to sort out what they were processing and try to process this ourselves, too. Right. Do you, it, it was tragic, brother. Do you feel like the the impromptu counseling sessions with with the with the citizens helped process for the the first responders? Yes, no, or did it did it did it help or hurt I, in the in the in the aggregate? I, I believe Corley it helped because these people just they just wanted to talk and we could direct them to resources, but we just we just a lot of times it was you know I'm sorry this happened this was one single madman. Let's stay together as a community, right? We have a lot to offer. We're not a bunch of crazy people, right? We still love each other. There are still a lot of us that love and care for each other. So continue to do that. Continue to live your life the way you were living your life. Continue to do the things you were doing for your community. Hope is not lost because we had one crazy son of a bitch do this, right? Continue to be a member of this this community, a productive member of this community. And that's the message we kept giving these people. Maybe it was wrong, Corley. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, that's the best we could do. Right? Ooh, sorry. I'm taking notes, man. Ugh, sorry. Don't that's mean to leave right. you hanging, man. Don't mean to leave you hanging. That's powerful. Uh, going back to the notes. Uh, yeah, I don't even know how to follow up on 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 that. It's powerful, bro. Like very, very powerful. That's so cool. that that Corley was we had a plan in place. We had some super heads up dudes on our job. And that plan was already in place. Our hostile MCI plan was already in place. They had already done the training with the police. Knowing, I'm gonna read you a quote, Corley. Um the hospital area command, right? Hospital area command is something that came out of that. Uh May the May edition of Fire Engineering, May 2023, just recently, the fire chief and another chief wrote an article about the hospital area command. And that came out of 
the surge of patients showing up to these hospitals, right? 50, 60 patients showing up at your door with gunshot wounds within an hour, right? They overwhelm the hospitals. I would highly recommend you read this article. The dudes that wrote it are, are good. That's our old fire chief, Greg Castle. John Wersinski was another fire chief. The medical director for the Las Vegas Fire Department wrote the article. Um, that plan was already in place. And because of that plan was in place, they realized that this is going to happen. And I'm going to read you a quote, Corley, I saved um, out of that article. And it, it's going to bring you chills. Hostile events have become less of a possibility and more of an eventuality for communities large and small, rural and urban. Ooh. So if it hasn't happened, what we just have today, I just read Baltimore had a shooting in a school and Kansas City had a shooting as well. Two in a day, I thought. Maybe I'm getting old news. Like I said, I'm up in northern Wisconsin, so this might be days old, but I just got that news today. It's coming. It is coming, and we have to have a plan to address this kind of stuff, no matter how many people you live in your community. Vivaldi, Texas, right? How big is Vivaldi, Texas? I don't know, but that's it's going on there, right? It's yeah. going on in major cities. Um, yeah. And the fact that we had a plan in place saved a shit ton of people. And then what we did is we refined that plan with the lessons we learned out of October 1, we refined it, and it's even stronger now, things like hospital area command. And it goes into how they developed it and how they trained on it, stuff like that. Um, someone else called Corley. I'm not going to tell you how to run your show. You've been doing You're obviously really successful. Dude named Steve Hamilton. Steve Hamilton's out of South Carolina. He is, I think he's a chief now. He does a lot of hostile events, MCI, stuff like that. Um, he's way more, I, I've spoke with him before. Uh, he knows his stuff. He teaches at FDIC every year. He does a lot of teaching. He's good, but he can talk a lot a lot more about this kind of stuff. I will say this as far as telling me how to run the show. Uh, one of the strengths of it is I listen to people who, when they give me good guest suggestions. And so that's where most of the guest suggestions come from is people I trust. So absolutely, please keep them coming. I've got Jimmy Davis and Steve Hamilton uh, as possible future guests. And so uh, try to catch you up on on some of the, wow, I'm speechless. Uh, and you got to come back. Let me see where the count is at. There's currently 144 comments and, and growing, and it's still going. And some of them just listening. I'm grateful for men in our fire service like Clark Lamping, Kyle Romagus. Where would we be without them? Thank you guys and all the other amazing firefighters that share their time, knowledge, and experience to help make the rest of us better. We are the lucky ones. Man, I absolutely feel that way, my brother. Um, we are the lucky ones, for sure. I got for one. sure. I'm waiting. Right. Oh, yeah, here we go. My brother Rob, Rob Fisher, is not here tonight, so I'll ask for him. This is from Kyle Romney who's coming at you. What wine are you drinking tonight? Um, So I'm in northern Wisconsin. I'm here with my family vacation. And – uh so every time I go on vacation, I'm drinking uh, local brew. So this is actually brew, right? This is a local brew, uh, River River Western uh, Amber, and this is a, a goblet. So apparently in northern Wisconsin, we drink beer out of a gobble. So I've been drinking out of my Schlitz, my Schlitz okay, goblet. Schlitz malt liquor. There we it's go. Schlitz malt liquor goblet in northern <laughs> Wisconsin. Love this place. Love Wisconsin. Love drinking beer. Should I pull my pinky up if I'm drinking out of a goblet? It looks more refined that way. I will not lie. Yeah, for sure. So there you go. It is It is a, uh, I forget, uh, something west uh, out of a slits. Yeah, the goblet, yeah. Kyle said the goblet fooled me. Um, <laughs> Amanda Miller said a mega scrap on MCIs would be compelling as hell, particularly with subject matter experts and the men 
who've lived it and learned from it. Absolutely. Um, I'm telling you this, I've got coming up. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick because I'm very excited about it. on topic. Uh, he was a very, or Eric sailors. I don't know if anybody, Eric sailors, he was a chief. He was a uh, firefighter in San Francisco. He's a chief now. And I don't want to quote where it's at because I'll get it wrong. But uh, he just recently did the uh, keynote speeches, basically the takeaways on all the MCI studies. And he's coming up on the scrap for episode number, let me look, August 13th. I'm very excited for uh, that because it's specifically on active shooter response. Um, Okay. Which is a huge, you know, it's very, very focused, uh, the studies he's done. And, And if you saw his scrap way back in like, I want to say the 30s or 40s. So it was a while back, three or four years ago. And uh, he is a smart, smart person. He did the study on proving to municipalities through data and math the value added by adding a person on a rig where he could prove it with charts and numbers. And he's a very, very smart person. Uh, So all that being said, um, Clark is the man. There you go. That pretty much sums it up. William Seeley said, Clark is the man with three exclamation points. Uh, but no, Amanda, absolutely great idea. Mega scrap on MCI, especially hostile MCIs, because that's just a. I mean, I don't think I can't think of a lower frequency, but grow. I will say a growing frequency, high. I don't high consequence event. Is there another way to say it? Yeah, high, high impact. Event. Yeah, yeah, high value, growing frequency, high. Yeah, high consequence event. Okay, <clears throat> uh, getting my notes back. Strong stuff, brother. So we, Corley, we actually have a a fire chief in the command staff, and his title is, I had to write this down, Chief of Law Enforcement Coordination, Homeland Security, and Events Planning. Wow. That's a command staff position. And that guy is busy. He has to write uh, an ops plan for every event coming to Las Vegas over, I, I think the number is 15,000 people. Every event has to have an ops plan with it and this is the chief that's in charge of that so that's that's how seriously we take this now in las vegas no i can only imagine i can only imagine especially the the frequency with which you deal with the events not necessarily bad things happening at those events just the possibility because of the frequency yeah uh see we have I... formula one go ahead go no ahead, no no, no you're good you're good yeah so we have formula ones coming for the first time in november all right, as big as the, the events that we've had in Vegas, they say Formula One is going to be the biggest event in the history of Las Vegas. Wow. They're expecting 400,000 people to come for a week, for a week. This race is a week-long thing, All right? And there's the, the race is only a three-hour race on Sunday, but they're going to race down Las Vegas Boulevard, right? Mm. I mean, think of this. Not So it's it's bigger than New Year's Eve, and then we're going to put race cars on it too. Right, <laughs> right. Throw that travel, on top. Right on down Las Vegas Boulevard. Race cars down Las Vegas Boulevard. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure. I sometimes they're just inside jokes. And I don't know what they are, but it's what size tie rod is the best for getting a kangaroo out of a wheel arch? I don't Who know. Sent that's, that. That's from Gerard Mann. Oh, Gerard Mann's a guy from. Uh, he's from from Australia. He's from Victoria, Australia. I might have I I might have been hitchhiking through Australia one time in my life. We might have hit a kangaroo, and we had to pull the kangaroo out of the wheels. It's a long, disgusting story. But uh, if anyone out there is looking for advice on how to remove a mangled kangaroo from the duels of a semi tractor trailer with fuel on it, uh, you call me because I'm the I'm now the expert 
of the that subject chapter. matter expert. <laughs> yeah, I'm the subject matter expert of that. Dark man's legend too. That that's a, that's a that's a strong dude right there. Love it, love it. Okay, I, I, again, I never know when I'm asking a question if it's an inside joke or an outside. But I I love to ask people books or books that you think firefighters should be reading. Perfect. Yep. Um, not a book, but a publication, Corley. Uh, Fire Department Training Network mm, from baby. Jim McCormick out of out of Indiana. Right. I believe that is personal opinion, and and uh, I mean I know him. I wouldn't say we're friends, but I tell you what, I believe that is the best fire service publication you can get. Yeah. It is. Yep. Yeah, right there. It's the 15 one. it's 15 pages right and you couldn't pack more yeah mike lombardo basement fires I, re- I read that on the plane coming out here i don't think you could put more relative information in 15 pages no advertisements okay it's 60 dollars. it's 60 dollars a year okay i think that should be in every single firehouse in america every single firehouse and if you can't afford 60 dollars a year all right have the guys pitch in. Everyone pitches in five bucks. Okay. And if that's here's how strongly I feel about this, Corley. If that's not an option, I will buy the fucking publication for your firehouse. If I and that's how strongly I feel about that publication. If you can't afford it, I will I will send you a subscription to your firehouse. That's how good that goddamn publication is. It is. I can't I cannot argue, baby. You just got max points. Uh one hundred percent. I don't think I'm not sure I've ever given out max points on book or books. <laughs> uh, you just got them. Um, something else I love, Corley, same thing. Fire Engineering Magazine. Every firehouse in America should have a Fire Engineering Magazine on the kitchen table or somewhere in the common area. Um, young Firefighters, Corey, I really like that uh, 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 Pass It On. The three mm-hmm. Pass It On books yes. from Billy Goldfeder, right? Billy, yeah, Goldfeder, yeah. Fantastic information there. Young Firefighters, just great, great information in there. Um Right now, what I'm reading, Corley, uh, related to high-rise firefighting, it's a book called Show Me the Bodies. I got it right next to me. Show Me the Bodies. And this is by a investigative reporter, Peter oh. Apps, not a firefighter. This is going through the Grenfell Tower fire in London right. in 2017, I believe, and the failures. It is, it is shocking and disturbing that everyone in London knew. They knew what those buildings were built of. They knew how dangerous they were, and they decided not to fix those buildings. Um, and it's it's a really it's not a technical book. It's not a tactical book. It is just shocking. If you're interested in high rise firefightings and how that actually played out and why that played out, that that's an interesting read too. Nice, very nice. Um, another book that I really like, Tactical Firefighter. Tactical Firefighter is written by uh, um, uh, Matt Worley. Uh, Rob Wiggins and uh, Mark Vanderfeist. Okay. All right? uh, and it's kind of a, it doesn't dig too deep. Again, for a young firefighter, it touches the tops of a lot of, a lot of good topics and they okay. put it together really well. Those guys are good writers. Okay. They're good. They're, they're good writers. Uh, I appreciate that book. High rise firefighter. You have to have McGrail's book. You have to have McGrail's book. And then you have to have a book by uh, a retired chief out of Texas. I believe it's Houston. Um, uh, I wrote it down because I didn't want to. Matt Stuckey, Firefighters in High Rises by Matt Stuckey. It's a smaller read. He really focuses on air movement through uh, air and smoke movement through stairwells and stuff like that. Really, really good book. Oh, really solid. good book. Solid. 
Yeah, so they all said Stucky, Stucky. Yeah, <laughs> quite stuck, a few people. Yeah. Quite, quite a few people. Wait, you know, no, absolutely. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Love it, man. I love finding the new books and the old books and reinforcement of books that I love. Uh, so we have a thing we do. You've already got max points once, but we have a thing All we right. do on the weekly scrap. It is called the next five questions for firefighters. You, I, I you are officially the last person who's going to be asked the next five questions for firefighters because 200 is the next episode and we're going to unveil whatever the next five are going to be. So, and including what they're going to be called, because we've been debating it. Um, we've been debating it in the vigilante saying, what are we going to call the next, next, or is it the <laughs> next, next, next? Five questions version 2.0. You know, there's all these different uh, discussions. Uh, But basically, there are no right answers. They are strictly your opinions, and the points are arbitrary, and they're handed out by me with the help of the audience. So my question for you, Clark Lamping, is are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? I'm ready, brother. I'm ready. Here we go. (laughs) Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the go-to badass firefighter? I would say, Corley, that is love. It is love. You have to love people, right? If you truly have this job because you love people and you care about people, I can teach anybody. You give me a room full of chimpanzees, I can teach chimpanzees how to pull hose. I can teach chimpanzees how to throw ladders. I can't teach someone to love their community. I can't teach someone to love their brothers to love the fire service. If you show up to the fire service because you truly love people and you want to help people, the sky's the limit for you, brother. The sky is the limit for you. You can do anything you want and you can't teach that. Right. And you have to, some of the stuff, like I told you, we did on October one, right. It would have been really easy just not to answer the door that day. Wouldn't it just let's close the door. Let's not answer. Let the doorbell ring. We don't want to deal with those people. But no, we we actually loved, we cared about those people and we needed to speak to those people to see if we could help in any way, right? That's love. And if you love people, I, I can teach you anything. You're here for the right reasons. You're not here for paychecks. You're not here for hero status, any of that shit. But you have to legitimately care about the people we serve and you have to care about each other. Hold on, I got to timestamp the answer. <laughs> 30, hold on, let me circle. And I wrote down, damn. With the cat, big old exclamation point, brother! I have hey, I've never been given that answer on number one ever, and one hundred percent there they are, max points, max points with four A's, max points, easiest max points I've ever given to an answer. I loved that answer, especially when tied into the rest of the show. Beautiful, beautiful. No pressure moving forward whatsoever. Number two, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Um, so I got a story for you, Corley. Self-proclaimed worst probationary firefighter in the history of the Clark County Fire Department. The worst. Okay. Right? I had no fire background. I was a construction worker. Right? So here I am, a construction worker. I tested well. Um, my dad actually was personal friends with the governor of Nevada. That might have helped. Who knows? Right. So here I am. I show up in the academy. I show up as a probationary firefighter as a construction worker. Now, if you're not a badass, if you work construction in Las Vegas in the summertime, you're pretty badass, right? There's there's no – we don't deal with pussies or wimps very well, right? So if you're doing that – and it's it's doggy dog, 
the construction the construction industry in Las Vegas it is dog eat dog, um, and we we fought regularly. <laughs> Honest to God, as as dumb as it sounds, once a month on a job site we would be duking out with another trade or something like that for stealing tools or cutting cords or some kind of shit like that. So here I show up as a yeah, it's it's ridiculous, right? Guy shows up. I was I had a flooring business. The electrician would just walk in over wet floors and just ruin all of our shit and walk in and then change out some plugs or something. So we promptly just ripped out all the electrical out of the house and cut out through the dumpster when he left. Shit like that's kind of stuff. So here I show up at the firehouse, completed my uh, academy, and uh, so I got these guys yipping. Little like I remember my senior fireman was super short and he was younger than me, and he's just in my ass and he's yipping, 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 yipping. And I finally said, "Hey man, you're, this is a quote. You're about as big as my dick is, and I beat my dick every night." So I can't see you being much of a problem. That's what I told my senior firefighter as a probationary firefighter. All right. And I had guys pull me aside. Hey, man, you can't you can't talk to people like that. Right. You can't. That's not how this goes. You have to listen. And I was quarterly big mouth, small ears, big mouth. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to break my ball shit like that. Uh, and I had it completely wrong. I had it completely wrong. I had good dudes. Good dudes on this fire department were pulling me aside. This is how stuff's supposed to work. This is how you're supposed to do it. This is how you're supposed to learn. This is what we need. Um, and my piece of advice would be shut your mouth and open your ears. Absolutely. Shut your mouth and open your ears. Deal with the bullshit. Let the guys get their digs in. Let the guys break your balls a little bit. But also listen to what they have to say. Watch how they operate on a fire scene. Watch how they operate at the, at the station. Beautiful. So, hey, I love the story, first of all. Uh, <laughs> Worst probationary firefighter in the history of the fire of the Clark County Fire Department. Yep, tells it straight. There you go. Timestamp, one hundred percent. Max points. Shelby Berger and I agree absolutely. Two for two. Moving forward, two for two. It's actually three for three because you got the bonus max points that no, I've never given out before. Uh, number three, which we already kind of touched on. So this one is a, almost a gimme because I honestly think you can change it up a little bit if you want, but it's what is your favorite training drill? But inadvertently, we kind of hit it earlier, which was beautiful. Yeah. So uh, again, if you want to just say, hey, see earlier in the show, you already have max points on the answer because I love the EMS call and knowing your district and taking yeah. advantage of it. So go ahead. I got I got another one, Corley, that's easy, okay. it's equally as, go- as geeky. All right. Okay. Pre-plans. Mm, yeah, that is that is equally as good. I love, right? And again, we stretch hose, we throw ladders, we do all that stuff. But the value we get out of a pre-plan and talking about, okay, if it's on fire, what are we going to do? And the in-depth conversations we have with firefighters, fire staff, all the employees. All right, I want your opinion. If it's on fire, what should you do? What do you think and why? How about you? How about you? How about you? And we go through, and I fi- I can figure out how these people are thinking, how my firefighters are thinking. What what is your thought process? What should we do? And then we actually take measurements. We talk about hose lays. We go to the roof. Not we don't go to the roof to look at the roof. We go to the roof to plan ventilation. We go to the roof to okay if it's on fire. How about this? How about this? We talk to the owner or the manager, and we tell that owner or manager, hey, if it's on fire, what's your evacuation plan? And you nice. know what? We find out ninety five percent of the time, Corley, they don't have one. They don't have right. one. Right. I don't have one. You've got a bit you've got a business with 300 employees and you don't have an evacuation plan. You know what that does to us? Right? We show up and and you got nine guys out front, you got 45 guys out back. So how many people are missing? I don't know. Where are they? I don't know. 
right? right. So it gives us a chance to educate also that, hey, guys, I need everyone to have, just like we tell the kids, right, have a meeting place, the, mail, the mailbox next door type stuff. Assist them through that. And we'd be happy to come back, and I would be happy to draw it out for you. Um, but I think the value we get out of an hour, hour and a half pre-plan, the amount of knowledge we can we can bestow on people and the amount of talk that we can do. And we get the hoses off, too, on a pre-plan. Regularly, we get hoses off the rig. We stretch nice. dry into these businesses during a pre-plan, right? Um, so I actually love love doing pre-plans. Love them. Again, leave my mother out of this. She's a wonderful woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, you actually you actually got max points. Timothy Wood goes max points. Dear brother, uh, we do a thing. Yeah, no, I won't even go into what we do, but I, I love uh, knowing your district, man. I, I think besides knowing your job, knowing your district and where you're going to respond to and having a just just district familiarization, uh, whatever that looks like, man, 100%, 100%. Max points yet again. Clark is the real deal and tells it straight up. No, they're, they're absolutely cr- uh, crushing it. Number four, uh, what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? I've been thinking about this one, Corlin. By the way, I cheated on all these. I cheated on all these. I, I've been listening, to, so I've been planning these. And I I made a lot of mistakes. In fact, to this day, 25 years on the job, Corley, I still make more mistakes than I get stuff right. All right? I could tell you uh, some big mistakes, the way I treated people in the past as an officer, the way I treated people under me. You know, you want to go back. You want to go back and, and look at yourself as a two-, three-, four-year-old officer, and I want to make a closed fist, and I want to punch myself in the face as hard as I can. Um, and I uh, – so that's a problem, right? The way I treated people. I did a lot of things right, but again, did some guys wrong. Um, uh, but I tell you, one of the biggest mistakes I made as a probationary firefighter on a fire, one of the first fires, I'm with a company, we get assigned search, okay? We go into the house, search goes left, fire attack goes right, right? I'm a, I'm a brand new firefighter. I'm like one month on the job. I look right. Those guys are fighting fire, right? They're on the nozzle. They are fighting fire. There's fire over their head. They're doing it. They're doing it. And the guys on the left, like, hey, we're going to go search. And I said, hey, man, I kind of want to go fight fire. So I left. I left my company, the search group, right, and went and fought fire. Well, like, I don't know how long it was, eight, ten minutes later, that guy, that captain realizes we lost the rookie. Zero visibility. We lost the rookie. Can't find. This is before when I came on. We didn't even have radios. The company right. officer had radios. The firefighters right. didn't have radios. Right. The one. We lost the rookie. Pulled out, search, can't find him, can't find him, can't find him. Pull out. Have you seen the rookie? And they see me with fire attack. This guy damn near beat my ass in the fire. He had me by the collar. He was shaking the shit out of me. He was so hot at me. And guess what? I've never, ever, ever done again. Right. Leave your company because fighting fire is more fun than searching. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Trip, Trip absolutely covers it. Max points. For humility and honesty, man. That, no, there's no doubt. There, I, that has been a recurring theme throughout. Is is Clark is not afraid to admit his mistakes and point out things he gets wrong. I love that about uh, just this conversation. I know, I know you've. This has been a theme on your on your uh, pot on your cast as well. Um, hey, man, an apology goes a long way, mm-hmm. and an ego, big ego, short career, small ego, long career. Love it. Never be afraid to apologize. If you're wrong, step up. Step up and say, I'm sorry. Apologize to your boss. Apologize to the guys below you. Just apologize, man. If you sincerely mean it, if you knew you screwed up, apologize. Absolutely. 
and put your ego away. Put your ego away. Gotta gotta write down a note here so I don't lose that timestamp because that was beautiful, my brother. Uh, that that was not an answer to a question, but one hundred percent max points for that one. So he's got five max points or, or six at this point. And the final question, the original question, the question that will probably never go away, and it is heavy fire, searchable space. My brother, would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Corley, the relationship between fire attack and search, that's a, that's a that's for that brief moment of time, that's a very very important bond, isn't it? Oh yeah. Right? And on the fires even without without confirmed victims, okay? Anytime I'm assigned fire attack and I hear search get assigned, I'm looking over my shoulder for search. I want to see where is search coming? Who's on search? Okay. Who's the, I know who the company is. Who's the officer? Do I knew the, do I know the officer? Do I trust the officer? All right. Who's coming in on search? And I want to see where they're going. Okay. I want to see where did you choose to go? And if, if it's, if it's possible, I want to make contact with the search officer. If I'm on fire attack and it's just the opposite, Corley, if I'm assigned to search and we're going in this building, I'm walking in the building. First thing I'm doing is looking for fire attack. Nice. I'm looking for the hose and I want to make contact. I want to make sure fire attack knows that we're in the building and knows where we're going. If it's possible, right? If it's possible for right there in the front and I will tap him on the shoulder. And if it's a captain, I know he's a senior guy and I trust him. I'm going to make eye contact with him and I'm going to give him a nod and he's going to look at me and he's going to give me a nod. And that eye contact and that nod means I got you. We got the fire. You're going to go search. I just want to make sure you know I'm inside the building. Okay. Same thing's opposite. Um, so if I'm on fire attack, I want to know where those guys are, where those guys are. And I had a, I had a fire once fire, uh, rolling single story ranch home fire attack went right. All the bedrooms are left. We got a science search. I went and tap, tap fire attack. And so he was a newer captain and fire was in the attic. The attic was rolled. This was burning for a while. The attic was rolling. And I said, we're going to the bedrooms. I said, you got to keep the fire off of us. And he says, this attic is rolling. I can't keep it off of you. And I said, keep it off of us. We're going left. Don't let it get past here. He says, you better make it fast because I can't stop this fire. And I said, copy that. And we went left. We actually searched and went out of the back bedroom door, a slider on the bedroom. But the first thing I did is immediately go all the way around the house to Alpha. And I let that, I let that captain know we're out. We're out. Mm. Don't worry about us. We're out. And he said, thanks. As soon as he knew we were out, he pulled out. He hmm. says, we're done. We can't get this. It's through the roof. We can't get it. With that being said, Corley, I want to be on the nozzle. I want to be the guy. I want to be the company that is protecting search. And I want to let. I want search to look me in the eye. And I want to give search the nod and say, yep, I am not giving up this position until I know you are out of this building. I want the nozzle, Corley. Dude, I love it, man. Uh, I think with like I was about to say, you didn't answer the question, but I'm still going to give you max points because that that whole bit on teamwork was beautiful, man. Like like look them in the eye and say, and then the the max points for teamwork. There, Mike Wu said it. We can't do the job by ourselves. It requires work from all, no matter what assignment we are given. And yeah, <laughs> dude, uh, you just crushed the next five questions for firefighters with two bonus max points mixed in i'm not sure anybody's ever gone seven for seven but you did it in the official last version of the next five questions for firefighters so clark lamping with that being said you officially made it 199 scraps in the books 
Boom. Corley, I got to tell you, brother, what you're doing here, it's it's such a simple concept, but the way you're doing it and the way you're bringing people together, this is pretty much, we talked about the book, uh, Pass It On. Right. You're pretty much doing the podcast version of Pass It On. Ooh, that's right? powerful. Dude, thank it you. Is, Ooh, I never, yeah. the truth. It is the truth. You are bringing these, you're bringing the best minds in the fire service and Clark Lamping together to... <laughs> to deliver to <laughs> deliver message and these people least listen and i hear all kinds of man this is this has to be honestly Corley, the hottest firefighting podcast out there right now and oh, i love thank you i want to thank you for putting this together for being the catalyst for this hey i hey I, I, I love hearing it don't get me wrong i love hearing it i just consider myself the luckiest person in the fire service the fact that they still come on they still share their like you're so passionate it's easy for me to sit here and just ask questions. I, I, I'm just lucky and blessed. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm very proud of it. Do not give me, do not take that wrong. I'm so yeah. proud of the scrap. I'm so proud of my network and all the guests. That, like me and you have talked a few times. We talked to the FDIC. We talked to HROC. But when a scrap is over, I almost feel like this connection. And I don't, I can't explain it any other way than that than to say, I, you're my best friend now forever. And yeah. that's just the way it is. I can call you up on the phone because I, do, I can't explain it any other way than that. And I have... 199 friends now that are huge movers and shakers in the fire service. And I'm like the luckiest person in the fire service. So thank you. Um, yeah. Michael Forrest said too easy for Clark lamping uh, <laughs> called from the beginning. Clark killed it. That's from Bo Smith. Thanks Clark. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. That <laughs> he said the five questions weren't even a challenge. <laughs> dude, I, dude, I, the, it, right? I read a book once Corley. It was a uh, Navy seals, right? And okay. I can't remember. I think it was called Raising Men, which is also a fantastic book. If you've got kids, boys or girls, this guy, uh, um, Raising Men, he talks about he raises your kids, you know, be there for your kids and protect your kids like he protects a SEAL team. Um, and I'm not sure if it was his book, but a Navy SEAL once said, we don't fight fair. The SEALs don't fight fair. We don't fight fair. If you're in your house and you're wanted and the SEALs knock down your door, you're done because – that's not the first time we've seen you. We've been practicing. We know exactly where you are. We know exactly who you are. We know the configuration of your house. We know who your friends are. We know where you live. We know who your family is. We know everything about you. The first time you lay eyes on SEALs, you're done for. And he says, he says we cheat. We don't fight fair. So, Corley, I cheated. On this. I, I prepped. I watched all the scraps. So, I hey. cheated. <laughs> Then it was a well-earned max points because you absolutely crushed it. Jeremiah King said, Eric Davis is the author. Great book. Uh, Martin yeah. Rafik yeah, said, great book. No, 100%. I uh, love it. So there you go. Another book added to the pile to read. Uh, and uh, Clark Lamping, thank you, A, for an amazing evening. If someone wants to get a hold of you, reach out to you for a class just to get in touch with you, ask you questions, how do they do so? Facebook. I think, Corley, I think I, I spend more time on Facebook than a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> i love facebook i i've got a lot of friends uh just networking it's fantastic so you can get me on facebook or my first and last name clark lamping at hotmail.com i'm so old that i still have a hotmail account hotmail yeah at me and uh, i think vincent dunn still has a hotmail account he said um that way and and i just want to throw this out there to everyone out there if you're listening if there's anything i can do for you professionally don't ever hesitate to reach out like i said i already offered Everything we have in Clark County, all the manuals, everything we have, I'd be happy to email it to you. Please take advantage of that. That's And personally, also, if you're coming to Vegas and everyone comes through Vegas, if you're coming to Vegas, 
and you want to go drink beer. You know, the two things I hate most, Corley, drinking beer and talking about fighting fire. The two I know. I know. I catch my sarcasm. Right. So if you're in Vegas and you want to catch up, please look me up. If I didn't want to see you, I wouldn't be putting this out there. All right. Right on. If you're coming to Vegas, right, I don't know, and you don't want to talk about fire, maybe you're coming with your neighbor, maybe you're coming with your wife, maybe you're coming with your neighbor's wife, right, whatever the circumstances <laughs> may be, all right, if you want hotel reservation or uh, recommendations, dinner recommendations, anything, anything, you just want to come by the firehouse and have lunch, please don't ever hesitate to reach out. Don't there you ever go. Hesitate. I'm looking forward to my next Vegas trip now. It's been a few years. Oh. I'm looking forward to it. I am, man. It's going to be great. Uh, love it Uh, FHV Firehouse Vigilance facilitates a sense of belonging and ownership and connection that is at the root of what it means to be a firefighter sharing knowledge and stories and fellowship fills a void in the fire service particularly for the passionate who may feel disenfranchised or just can't get enough of this righteous stuff that is a beautiful write up man absolutely love that Amanda that's from Amanda Miller um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Hey, Amanda Miller gets full points. She gets max, max points. points on Just got max. Right? So there's the eighth max points on the same episode. There you go. Uh, all right, uh, where am I at? Vigilantes. If you're not a member of the Cool Kids Club, the Vigilantes, go become a part. We're doing stuff like the V90, the exclusive merch, the uh, the Vigilante meetups. Holy crap, those have been amazing. They've been happening. So I can't I can't say enough stuff about the Vigilantes. There's there, there, it's this really tight knit group, uh, and I. I it's five bucks a month. It's the cost of a cup of coffee, and you're you're a member. Uh, we do meetups whenever we have conferences. Go ahead. Sorry. Second best five bucks a month I've ever spent, Corey. Second That's, best. I was gonna say FDTN is pretty powerful. I, I gotta <laughs> I gotta say it. Uh, but no, I agree with you. Uh, I love my vigil. I, like I, whenever I have an idea, I run it to the vigilantes and and run it through their filter, and they are awesome at saying yes, no, maybe so, or That's stupid. That's great. Um, <laughs> and and hey. we do. You gotta love the fact that you have friends that'll tell you, "Hey, man, that's stupid. That's stupid. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't ever say that again. <laughs> Please don't ever do that again." Uh, that's it. Uh, the badass scraps continue. I'm not gonna lie. I'm super excited. July 13th, so 11 days away. We're gonna be eight days into the V90, and and Kurt Isaacson is doing episode 200. He's hyped about it. I'm hyped about it. We're gonna try and break the internet once more. The brand new. Brand new, whatever they're called, next, next, five questions, 2.0, seven, eight, uh, whatever it's going to be, uh, is coming July 13th. Uh, Kurt is back, and he is fired up. My brother, Clark Lamping, thank you for being such a phenomenal guest. Bro, I've enjoyed this evening immensely. That's good. I, I did too, Corey. I, I can't believe that I am included in your circle of friends. No, 100%. Dude. Hey, here's the thing. You'll find out. I just pick up my phone sometimes and call people and say, hey, how's it going? I have a question. You got a minute. And it's just the way it works. And so now you're officially in the uh, the, the random call circle when I have questions. But if, uh, hey, we do a thing after the scrap called the after party. It's 20 minutes. Vigilantes get to come in and we just, it's very informal. And we just kind of chat about the scrap that we just had. So, uh, A, you're invited because you're the guest, obviously. So I'm coming, brother. Okay. We just started doing it recently. So there's not, it's not a, it's not a set thing yet. Uh, I will post that link in the vigilantes group as soon as the scrap ends. Uh, of course, Clark is going to show up, hear the feedback, thoughts about the episode. We can be as honest as we want. We can tell him, you know, the, like as brutally honest as we want to be. Uh, yeah, you can't hurt my feelings. Let me have it. Audience, 100%. You make the scrap magical. It would not, it, it, the discussion tonight would not have happened without you. Like there would have been a discussion, but the one that we had tonight 
was was so awesome because of your insight and your your picking into it. So thank you uh, for tuning in live. I love you all. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tones stay silent unless it's burning. Everybody, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.